I was listening always with a great deal of interest to Dr. Ross, and uh, I always enjoy his presentations. But I'm wondering if you would include a little more, if you would expand from health professionals and their, their higher risks for diseases, those who work at the General Conference and travel um, and experience circadian dyssynchrony. And it's not only, it's not only at the General Conference, it's at every level of our church, um, at least where their travel is required. It's in many ways not a very healthful or health-conducing. And uh, I've, I am grateful for the Lord because I think that when he calls us to do some things, he not only places upon us responsibilities in making the best choices we can, but when we are in extenuating circumstances, perhaps he gives a blessing that maybe even science can't detect. Um, it, it's, um, and, and it probably extends to all of you here in your various capacities. Um, we're going to be talking about balance in a few moments. I want to talk about one other aspect of, of effective uh, health ministry, and I've changed my presentation just a little bit from what I thought I would do. But um, balance is a big challenge in life today for everyone. And uh, we'll look at that a little more. I want to talk about the last, uh, or just two issues this, this, after, or this morning. I think if we're going to be really effective in the mission that God has called us to, we need to be focused on selling information, not on products. Now, as healthcare providers, those of you who are physicians, dentists, and others, your role is fairly well-defined. And um, like in America, you don't sell pharmaceuticals out of your practice. You write scripts and the apothecary or pharmacist takes care of that in filling that script. When it comes to our church-related programs, sometimes we get very tempted to sell products. And I've seen it happen too many times. And that's why I just want to mention it briefly here. The lure of money. I have people probably, several of them every month, write to us at the General Conference. And somehow, because I'm involved in nutrition, I think I get a disproportionate number of them saying that we need to promote this product and we need to promote that product and we need to put it on our web page. And I have a standard answer for those who I actually speak to. And that is, I, have, I say, I'd like to ask you one question before we go any further. Are you selling this product? And nine times out of 10, they are selling it. And they're wanting our endorsement, the church's endorsement, for a product that they are selling. And it really it represents a conflict of interest. And God has called us, he's given to us a message. As we've heard several times this weekend, we're really selling information. 
good, sound, solid information that will change people's lives, but it doesn't necessarily represent products in the sense of a pill or a potion or a syrup that one might sell. Um, I would just like to remind you on this point of the story of Naaman. Actually, it's not so much, it doesn't have so much to do with Naaman, but we remember the story in 1 Kings, the fifth chapter, because of the wonderful work that God did in, on behalf of Naaman. Naaman was a leper. You remember how the little maid in her home talked to Mrs. Naaman, Mr. Naaman talked to Mr. Naaman. He went to the king, as was mentioned the other evening, his country and the country of the maid were at war. And so it was an unusual request to be able to go to that country and seek healing. But Naaman must have been a very important person, very valuable in the kingdom. And he was granted permission as well as given wealth to take with him to pay for this healing. He had tried all the other healers. He had tried every source of healing in his own country. And he was still a leper. And we know that he made a detour and unfortunately an opportunity was missed by the king. But God was in this trip and he ended up at the door of the prophet Elisha. And Elisha breached all protocol. And I'm sure that Elisha knew that this great and important man was coming. Even in societies without telephones, word gets around. And they, did, they weren't moving at 60 miles an hour or you know, 100 kilometers an hour. Um, they were riding in chariots. And so Elisha knew. He had time to prepare. But when Naaman arrived at his door with his entourage, he sent his servant down. And in that culture, that was a great insult. But he sent Gehazi down and said, go down to the River Jordan and wash seven times. And of course, Naaman became angry at that simple suggestion. He said, oh, the rivers in my country are pure and clear. I don't want to go down to that muddy, dirty river, Jordan. And he got back on his chariot and he whipped his horses and he headed home in anger. I think he was affronted by the fact that the prophet did not come. He sent his servant. And then secondly, he was really disgusted with the solution that was presented. The Bible says that his wiser yet simpler servants began to reason with him. And they said, you know, Mr. Naaman, why don't you go down and try it? If it works, it works. And as his temper cooled, reason came back. And he decided to go ahead and bathe in the River Jordan. And we know the rest of the story. Now, I have a question that I often ask people, and that is, was it the minerals that brought about that healing? The minerals in the mud? No, we know that. Was it the ritual seven times to dip himself, the perfect number? No. It was following God's instruction that brought healing to Naaman.
It's a wonderful story. And um, I guess I'm talking and not thinking here about, it was only through following the specific directions of the prophet that he could find healing. Willing obedience would alone bring the desired results. And the same is today. We've been talking about the need for the grace of Christ to empower our lives. For the need for us to present to people their need of Christ, to empower their lives to bring about these changes. You folks all know how difficult it is to get people to exercise regularly, let alone change aspects of their diet and what they eat. In fact, they get affronted by what you tell them, and they want some pill or potion. But the story goes on, and it has a sad chapter, and that has to do with greed. Because, you see, Gehazi was conflicted with his interest. He saw the wealth that Naaman had, and he knew that if he, if he had brought down a pill or a potion, even one, and said, for all your wealth, this will heal you of your leprosy, he would have gladly given it all. But his boss said, go down to the river and wash seven times, and you will be healed. And this burned a hole in Gehazi's head. And he, as, as, and he no doubt knew that Naaman had been healed by following God's instructions. And he knew he was on his way home. But he thought of all that wealth that had come all that way and now was going back. And he first lied to the prophet, and he caught up with Naaman. The amazing thing is that Naaman didn't see through that, through the subterfuge, or if he did, he just gladly gave more than what Gehazi asked. And Gehazi then went home, hid it in his house, and then reported to his boss. And we know that Elisha said to Gehazi, where have you been? And he lied the third time. And then Elisha said to him, the leprosy that was in Naaman is going to be upon you. There's always a temptation to sell something to those disadvantaged and personally profit from it. And we need to be really careful in our health ministry that we don't do that. Everything we've been talking about here this weekend, all that Dr. Grant presented are simple things. Not necessarily easy to incorporate into the life, but they're lifestyle issues that bring the greatest advantage. And we must not be like Gehazi. And I'm very concerned that as I have been involved in this work and as I travel to many parts of the world, that I see that Gehazis still exist today. But we should have no part of it. There are all kinds of unproven health products, multi-level marketing schemes, nutraceuticals, botanicals, ad nauseum. 
Ellen White said in Prophets and Kings, solemn are the lessons taught by this experience of one whom had been given high and holy privileges. The course of Gehazi was such as to place a stumbling block in the pathway of Naaman, upon whose mind had broken a wonderful light and who was favorably disposed toward the service of the living God. But in spite of Gehazi, the prophet says that for the rest of Naaman's life, he honored the God of heaven. God is a merciful God. He can overpower even the sins of his people. But let's not be part of the Gehazis of this life. I love 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and verse 33. It's not seeking my own prophet, but the prophet of many, that they may be saved. That's our commission and our calling. And we need to stay away from all of these things. Now, every once in a while, somebody says to me, but I'm doing a cooking class out in nowhere. And there's hardly a grocery store in town. So is it wrong for me to bring some products that we're teaching people to use? And my answer to that is no. But just communicate the fact that this is something you're doing as a convenience for them and that you're not making any money from it. You may sell those products, that's fine, those food stuffs, hopefully, um, because it's something that is helping them, but you just pass it on to them at your expense. That's not a problem. That's not conflict of interest. But we have, I recently had a conversation with an individual who's selling the finest nutraceuticals in the world. You've all met them, right? And um, they're absolutely essential for life and good health. And you can't even experience good health if you take anything else. It has to be their product. And I said to them, okay, my wife and I, if we rearranged our budget, might be able to afford your product. But I want to ask you a question. Does that mean that because we have the wherewithal, we can experience good health? But those who live in Africa, those who live around the corner and don't have the blessings that we experience, are relegated by God to poor health. We need to think about these things when we get involved in these schemes to make money. And unfortunately, they're all over the world. And uh, we need to remember the counsel of Paul. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. And I can tell you, I've seen people who get involved in health ministry who say it's because I'm going to make money selling network marketing products. You know what they are. Do you know, people realize what the real motivation is. You folks do. 
you see people approach you and you realize that they're after something from your wallet, not your soul. And it's very almost transparent to so many people out there. And yet, because people are con are, have conflict of interest, they're blinded to those realities. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox, and let's talk a little bit about the importance of being science-based in what we do. You know, we have a wonderful construct in which to evaluate the things that we teach. Are they consistent with what the Bible teaches? Are they supported by Ellen White, the inspired writings? And are they evidence-based? If you look at the church manual, you'll see that that is the three things by which we need to judge those things which we as Seventh-day Adventists communicate as important for health. We might say, well, why be accurate? And believe it or not, people ask me that. And I believe this statement alone makes it perfectly clear. If they see that we are intelligent with regard to health, they will be more ready to believe that we are sound in Bible doctrines. Many, many years ago, a very wise man told me this. He said, Fred, when you give a health lecture, never forget that there may be somebody sitting in your audience who knows more than you do about at least a small area. And if you make up something, you'll disappoint them. But more than that, when you have the if you have the opportunity to talk to them about the Bible, they will have question marks as to your understanding of biblical truth. And that's very true. I have learned over the years that there are people in your audiences that are experts in areas that you may be touching on, but they know far more, at least about a narrow area, than you do. And it's very, very important. It's important for the gospel, not for our reputation, but for the reputation of God's word and our interpretation as a people of it. We have much counsel, and we'll just look at a couple of, of uh, statements here. The extremist works and words can be spared, for they do more injury than the wisest and most intelligent men, with the best influence they can exert, can counteract. It is impossible for the best qualified advocates of health reform to fully relieve the minds of the public from the prejudice received through the wrong course of these extremists and to place the great subject of health reform upon a right basis in the community where these men have figured. It is very important that we stay on the side of truth, not only spiritually, but scientifically as well. And um, the door is often closed, uh, is also closed in a great measure, so that unbelievers cannot be reached by the present truth upon the Sabbath and the soon coming of our Savior. The most precious truths are cast aside by the people as unworthy of a hearing 
and she's referring to these same men, these men, these extremists, are referred to as representatives of health reformers and Sabbath keepers in general, and a great responsibility rests upon those who have thus proved a stumbling block to unbelievers. So, how do we find balance in an unbalanced world? Is it even possible? I don't know how much you have thought about balance. I continue to think about it all the time, especially when I have to give a presentation on it. But more important than that, we look in Scripture. What is balance? Look at Christ's life. Did he live a balanced life? It's a very subjective issue. You can look at my life and say it's totally unbalanced. I might look at yours and say, no, you're the one who's really unbalanced. It's very, very subjective. So is it even possible to find balance in a very unbalanced world? Adventists are often quick to espouse spurious health claims, and we've seen many, many of them over the years. Um, I just had a, an experience a couple of years ago. Um, saw this man. He was a very sincere man. But he asked me if I was going to be presenting anything about mastication. And I sat with him at a table one day, and he took out a little piece, a little book, a little booklet, and he took out his pen and he set it down. And as I was watching him eat, he'd take a bite, and he'd chew, 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 and then he'd go, praise the Lord, and he'd write something in the book. And then he'd chew, take another bite, and he'd chew, and then he'd say, oh, shoot, and he'd write something down. I finally said to him, I mean, he was asking me about the, whether I was going to speak about mastication. And I said, what are you putting in the book? Oh, he said, you need to chew every bite at least 60 to 70 times to have good health. And he said, if I get 80, I say, praise the Lord. And if I get less than 70, I'm disgusted. He made eating a stressful experience. <laughs> and yet he was one of our brothers. And he believed it with a passion. And he talked to everybody that he could about that. Um, you know, today we have all kinds of weight loss and, and health books, wheat belly, grain belly, and they'll go on and on until the Lord comes. So what do we support? Can we, should, should we be supporting these kinds of things? Are they really balanced? Well... I've come to the conclusion that the only person who is balanced is me. And as you look at it, the only person that is balanced is you. Think about it. And there's always somebody ahead of us. And those who are ahead of us, those are the fattest. And there's always those who are behind us. And they are on the bleeding edge of liberalism. In every area. Isn't that correct? 
I think there's more truth to that than sometimes we're willing to admit. How do we find balance in a basically unbalanced world? Well, I'm speaking to the choir here, and I'm really going to skip over this. We need to evaluate the messenger. We need to make sure the, critically that the message being presented is correct. And you folks know all about that. But I want to share with you another piece of counsel that I was given many years ago. And it was this. Remember in every audience where you speak. Oh, this is, I'm sorry, I shared this earlier. But it's expressed a little differently here. Remember, in every audience where you speak, there may be someone who knows more about at least a small area than you do. Don't disappoint them by your ignorance. Don't make things up. It's always important to leave a little bit of escape in case you were wrong or, mis or, or misunderstood something. And so... The language that you professionals have been trained in is very important. But those of you who are pastors are not trained in that language. The language of it appears, the evidence would support. You see, evidence may change over time. It may not, but it may. But we who come through ministry, we look to the Bible and we say, this is the way it is. And the layman, from a health standpoint, often simply are willing to make these broad statements of fact, when in fact it may not be fact, or may not be recognized to be fact later. Some of you subscribe in your own lives to a total vegetarian diet. Some of you use a little bit of milk and eggs. Some of you may not even be vegetarians. Where is balance? I probably get dozens of letters every month, messages. In my church, we're quarreling about this, we're quarreling about that. Where do we find balance? And I'm not sure that I have the wisdom, because I'm as biased as everyone else. And I know there are people who are ahead of me, and I know there are people behind me. And the ones that are behind me make me feel really good. Don't they? The ones that are ahead of me may challenge me, or I may say they're so far out that they're the nuts among the berries. See, where we are, we as humans tend to think is the place to be. I'm very thankful as I read the spirit of prophecy, she challenges us to continue to grow. But she also is very tender and merciful to those who don't, aren't quite there. And I believe that's 
what we should be also. And as we worship together, let's not allow as, well, actually, in Romans, Paul said, don't let food divide us. But don't let anything divide us. The reason I'm talking about food, not only that I am a nutritionist, but I have never in my life seen a church quarrel over the amount of sleep one should be getting. I've never seen separation of church members. Well, these people exercise and these people don't. But somehow food, we allow it to divide us. And we should not. I am concerned when it comes to balance with a concept that I see in the world and I sometimes hear in the church. And let me explain it this way. And you've seen it. There are people who have high stress. They eat a terrible diet. And let's say they drink a lot of coffee. But on the other hand, they don't drink alcohol. They say their prayers. They get a lot of physical activity. They study the Bible. They don't smoke and they get exposed to adequate amounts of sunlight. And maybe they relax and they sleep well every night. Is that a balanced life? You know, the world says, especially in those philosophies that emanate from the New Age, as we often refer to it, that health and balance is found in having equal amounts of good and bad in one's life. And so, and I talked to somebody on the plane the other day and he said to me, oh, I exercise, I eat well, but he really enjoyed his alcohol and that was obvious while we were, I was sitting next to him. And he exercises faithfully, but he had a whole lot. And he could tell me all the list of the good and the bad in his life as he perceived it. But he thought he was living a balanced life. And he said, you know, I'm doing all these good things to balance all these bad things that I enjoy. My indulgences. But that's not a biblical concept from a Christian standpoint. Sorry. I believe the only way that we can find balance is found here in Jesus Christ, in looking to Jesus, by studying his life and character, by earnestly desiring to be like him, our minds will be balanced in the right direction that we may overcome selfishness and choose a course of righteousness. The only way that we can experience balance in life is if our lives are centered in Jesus Christ. And I really have appreciated the messages that I've heard here this weekend that have pointed 
all of us, challenged all of us to be on our bended knees, to find balance, strength, direction in Jesus our Savior. What I would like to suggest to you is that balance is only found when Jesus is at the center of our lives. Because Jesus promises to allow us to get rid of the bad things in our lives and to focus on the good things. And so we can leave those red blocks by His grace, out of our lives, and we can include all the good things in balance and moderation. But the only way we can do that is through a relationship with Jesus. The only way. Balance is only found in Him. And if I were to illustrate it in a simple way, I believe this is the biblical concept of balance. He gets rid of the bad things and he allows us to focus on the good things. I believe we need to gratefully accept the health that God gives to each one of us. We also need to focus our lifestyle choices only on the healthful and the wholesome. And we can only do that through the grace of Jesus. And then, we need to cheerfully yield our desires and appetites to the sovereignty of His love. And we can only do that through Jesus. When we do, we can rejoice in the benefits that He grants to us as we make wholesome choices through His grace. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It is only then that we can truly find balance in our lives and that we can teach others to find balance in theirs through Jesus Christ. May he strengthen and bless each one of you. And may we each one be faithful until that time soon when Jesus comes. And then we can have the joy of fellowshipping together throughout eternity with all the unbalanced souls that we've come in contact with in this world, but who have found balance through their Savior Jesus. That's my prayer. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.